Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 126. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and I am now officially one week into being an author, being a published author. I am so blown away by all your support and all your enthusiasm. For those of you who pre-ordered the Bossed Up book, who picked up the Bossed Up book at one of your independent bookstores, who Amazon primed yourself a copy of my book, all of which you can still do since we're just a week into publication. And really, so many of you who I've already met along the course of the Bossed Up Book Tour in Denver and D.C. last week and Providence this past weekend, it was such a delight to meet with you, to hang with you, to celebrate this book all about banishing burnout and stepping up as the boss of your life. If you've had a chance to crack into your fresh new hardcover of the Bossed Up book, I want to hear what you think. Have you started the first or second chapter? Have you found any takeaways that have really resonated with you? Have any of our featured Bossed Up community members' stories really resonated with you or felt really relatable and inspiring? I'm dying to hear what you're thinking so far. And I'm dying to see how you're bossing up in your life and career already. So make sure to tag me on social media at Emily Aries or at Bossed Up org to let me know what you think. And for those of you in Hartford, Connecticut, tonight, May 28th, I'm hosting a book tour stop at the Yukon Hartford's bookstore, the Barnes & Nobles there in Hartford, Connecticut, just 15 minutes outside of where I grew up and was born and raised. And I would love to see you there tonight, or I'd love to see you in New York City Wednesday night. I'll be at Astoria Bookshop in Queens with my pal and the award-winning video producer, Elisa Kreisinger. And then on Thursday, I'm actually co-hosting an event with Elevate Network, the organization you're going to hear a lot more about in today's interview with Christy, their CEO. And that's why I'm so excited to be providing an interactive workshop all about how to beat burnout and strive for sustainable success with the Elevate Network in New York City this Thursday, May 30th. Then it's on to Fort Wayne, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, California, and San Francisco. So there's still time to join me on tour. And even if not, just to get your hands on a fresh new copy of the Bossed Up book. So head to bossedup.org slash book for all those details. Now, today's conversation is such a good one. And I'm so excited to be sharing this conversation I had with Christy Wallace, the CEO of Elevate Network, who is responsible for executing Elevate Network's mission of changing the culture of business from the inside out. They offer professional women a supportive community to lean on and learn from. And Christy is also the host of the Elevate podcast, Conversations with Women Changing the Face of Business. She's a regular speaker and thought leader on topics ranging from leadership and diversity to social entrepreneurship. And that's why I love 
running into Christy, as I am wont to do on occasion, in a variety of green rooms or speakers rooms backstage at women's leadership conferences all over the country. Christy and I seem to keep running into each other that way, which is delightful. And even more delightful is Christy herself. So because Christy knows so much about providing good leadership from her own experience and her own career to really studying the topic itself and and speaking to other women leaders from across industries every week on the Elevate podcast, she was the perfect person to bring in on this great career conundrum that Anna called in to the Bossed Up Hotline. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. My name is Anna. I live in Connecticut and I've been a big fan of Bossed Up for a while now. I want to be sure that I'm being the strongest supervisor that I can, that I'm tailoring my supervisory styles to each of the individuals that I provide some leadership to, that I'm serving as an excellent sponsor. So how can I make sure that I'm being the strongest supervisor that I can be? Would love to know your thoughts. Ooh, Anna, this is a big question. So buckle up because I'm sure that Christy has a lot to share on this topic. Christy Wallace, thank you so much for joining me here on the Boss Up Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, You and I have known each other forever and you've been on my podcast and you're going to be back on soon. And so it's always really fun to get to connect with you. And thanks for having me on. Likewise. I'm so glad you're on the call today to answer this great question Anna called in with because I have never personally managed a huge team. I am, like a lot of people, I think a little hesitant to be a manager, a little unsure of my management style. And so I'm really appreciative of someone like you being on the pod today because as the CEO of Elevate, tell us a little bit about the scope of your leadership and your management on the day-to-day. Yeah. And and I love that you even brought up being a manager in general. I think that there's this misnomer in society that you know, we should all strive to be a manager and, and that's, right. that's what success looks like. And that's oftentimes not the case. I mean, some people enjoy that role and they're good at it and many people don't enjoy it and right. you know, it's not their strength. And it's about really just redefining that conversation, getting the people in those manager roles who really are tapping into that innate skill set and interest, you mm. know, and, and some people are just better as individual contributors and can get some great stuff done. So, you know, there's power in knowing where your strengths lie. Yeah. But I, so today manage Elevate Network. It's a whole company full of women and men committed to closing the gender achievement gap in business through community and education. And that's been great. We have some team members who are remote. We have some in the office, variety of different functional areas. But when I started here five years ago, it was a team of three. We were Mm. super small. And then we've been growing year over year in terms of staffing. And that's really had to create some learnings for myself in terms of how do you manage a scaling business. And then also as you start to create more structure and tiers, what does that look like? But I'll tell you a somewhat interesting story, which was when I first became a manager, I was, I want to say maybe my mid, mid to late twenties. And I was working for a startup and we were growing quickly and it was within the sales organization. We had an enterprise sales product uh, that we sold into companies and I was a new manager and, you know, certainly struggling, didn't have a lot of the tools and resources or training to know what being a good manager looked like. 
at the time I'd, I'd worked for some good managers, but you know, there's how could I really do it in an authentic way to me? And now, you know, 20 years later, I look back and I really see some of the the failings from that time, <laughs> um, which which is important, you know, like understand the learnings. Uh, yeah, what, was, what, was good, what have we done well, and what haven't we done well, and how do we learn from it? But I yeah. would say one of the biggest failings from the time was I just assumed everyone was like me and mm, worked mm-hmm. like me and had the same life that I had. And so I absolutely bought into what I think many women, but, you know, all people struggle with in the workplace today, which is, you know, I was someone who was putting in a lot of FaceTime. I didn't have a family. My job was like my number one priority and certainly consciously or unconsciously judged those on my team that, you know, had to leave earlier, had different priorities. And I think part of that was just being a young manager and making right. assumptions about, oh, well, if you're you know out the door at this time, then are you really committed? And that was wrong. And, yeah. you know, I think about that. Well, now as a mother of three, I'm sure th- that your perspectives have changed on that, would you say? Oh, yes. Yes, they have. <laughs> They've changed yeah. a lot. But it's also about understanding that your team is, is comprised of humans and humans right. have different priorities. They have different ways of living. They have different ways of communicating. And so the more that we can do as managers to not try to make everyone be like us, but to understand what does our team comprised of? Who are these people? What makes them tick? What is important to them? And how do we do our best to support them in that? Yeah. And I love how Anna's question really belies this idea that she's being mindful about how to manage in a really personal approach, right? Because each person she acknowledges might have different communication styles or preferences when it comes to management. And I noticed that the Elevate Network is doing a new series on leading with empathy. Mm -hmm. How do you think empathy as a leadership skill can help Anna and anyone out there who wants to be providing such a personalized management communication strategy, for lack of a better word, you know, how can empathy help in that process? Yeah, in a number of ways. So when I think about communication and leadership and management, you know, there's uh, this book, The Seven Languages of Love or The Seven Love Languages. And so that talks a lot about how we express love and we understand that we're loved in different ways. And yeah. so I, I know I'm someone who says it a lot. I mean, I tell everyone, I love you. I love you. I get off the phone with someone. I love you. I mean, it's like my kids nonstop. I love you. I say it. Mm. But for my husband and my partner, for example, that's not how he understands he's loved. I mean, for him, that's just words. So it's acts of kindness, you know, and that may be something sure. that resonates with him. So when you're in these relationships, if it's friends, if it's family, if it's your romantic relationships, what have you, it's about really understanding, okay, how does this person feel appreciated and loved? And then Mm -hmm. how am I able to clearly articulate, okay, this is what what makes me feel loved. And and it's about that relationship. But when you're managing a team, you may have two, five, 10, 50 people and right. they're all different. You know, they're motivated by different things. They feel recognized in different ways. They communicate up to you in different ways. And so to approach this, it's understanding 
you know, who are these people? What makes them tick? How do they communicate? And a lot of that comes back to empathy. It comes back to, you know, caring, compassion, wanting to really understand, you know, what success looks like for this individual and how they communicate that and how they best work versus trying to impose your values or your beliefs on them or trying to make everyone adhere to a set structure that works for you. Right. And the more that we embrace empathy and understanding of, you know, each person as a human and as an individual, I think the stronger leader we are and the Mm. better the opportunity that your team will succeed. I hear what you're saying about communicating and acknowledging your team members' progress, which is so key. It's so motivating, right, for people to feel acknowledged and seen and appreciated. But it's equally important, and I want to almost underscore what you just said about communicating what you need from them in return, right? In order to feel loved, in order to feel respected, here's what I expect. And I think, it, you know, it's twofold, right? How do you, as a leader, communicate clear objectives and then manage folks with autonomy, right? How do you balance that need for expressing what you need from your team while also being there to support them and encourage them along the way? Yeah, I mean, we think about this a lot, and particularly as our organization has grown. How do you really create that structure? For us, we have clear quarterly goals, you know, and, and it's tied to our leading KPI, which is obviously revenues. But, you know, there's secondary KPIs or key performance indicators, which are what are the things that the numbers we're looking at or the data we're measuring, which can indicate our success. And so we all have set themes each quarter and we roll that down into what each department's goals are and then what each individual contributor's goals will be. And so you'll be able to say, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how it rolls up into my team. And this is how it rolls up into the overall business and the business success and KPIs. And so for us, it's really important that everyone understands how their work impacts our business um, because everyone does have an impact. We want that to be known, but we want it to roll up into the whole community because it's all of us working together. We're not entirely in a silo. And so there's complete transparency around what are you doing, but what are all your peers doing? What are the other departments working towards? And we regularly report on this as a way to be transparent, to be connected and to understand what we're all moving towards. We have a uniform theme every quarter. And so with that theme, there comes a reward. So if we hit our goals, we get X. If we you know, exceed our goals, we get Y. So I think one quarter, it was kind of like a beach theme. And it was, and it was like, if we, you know, hit our goals, we're all going to go to a, you know, surf bar or something, some sort of like Hawaiian theme bar. We'll go out for drinks and have a fun time. If we exceed the goals, we're going on a cruise around Manhattan. Oh my goodness. So fun. They're fun things. And it's all, how do we work together uh, to achieve that? But, you know, bringing it back to being a manager, so you can sit there and you stay and, you know, we give everyone in our company the autonomy to help direct some of this. So the manager may say, Mm. listen, this is what I want you to accomplish this quarter. What are your thoughts on this? Like, is that, you know, do you agree with that? How do you think you're going to achieve that? How can I support you in achieving that? And so each individual has ownership over it. 
I can tell you sometimes that's terrifying to people, particularly those <laughs> yeah. that are newer in the workforce and feel very hesitant to take on that ownership. And so it's really about helping to support them through that process, you know, validate, provide feedback, direction, you know, and then the the weekly check-ins or daily or, you know, whatever that cadence is, it's really about being a manager who listens, you know, here are your goals, mm. how are you progressing against those goals? What are your barriers? What are your challenges? What do you need advice on? What are your questions? Letting the direct report kind of drive those conversations. Because I've been yeah. in so many meetings where you have a manager just talking at you and telling you what yeah. they think, which I think is the counterintuitive to having an, an individual employee take ownership. It's about them leading the conversation and really identifying the opportunities and the barriers. Yeah, I can identify so much with a manager who overtalks because it, it has over the years required a ton of restraint on my part to empower my team members to really have not only the autonomy, but to see themselves as the driver of their department or the driver of their outcomes. And I think asking powerful questions is such an important leadership skill in addition to active listening. And I think a lot of people get into management roles because of the ideas that they've shared in the past. So if they're anything like me, it can be hard to sit on your own hands, you know, mm -hmm. and try to not jump in with solutions, but instead support and guide and coach, which is a huge part of your management style, it sounds like, which is great. I agree. It is hard. And it, that's one of the challenges with being a manager is you move up in your career because you're good at what you do, but that doesn't always mean that you're great at helping others be their best as well. Totally, totally. It's a totally different skill set that it takes a while, I think, to figure out. So I commend Anna for being proactive and calling in with this question and really thinking about this question because it is a skill set in and of itself that can serve you really well in other positions down the road. Yeah. I love the use of rewards that you just described too. I always talk about rewards in the context of personal motivation when it comes to our life tracker planner system that we have here at Bossed Up or just the psychology of maintaining your ambition over the long term. I love how you're saying from a manager's perspective, having really clear collective outcomes combined with autonomy from a departmental and individual standpoint for how to arrive at those outcomes, but it's all connected to a broader social reward. It totally speaks to the love language concept of a gift as being a show of appreciation, which I love. How else do you show appreciation at the Elevate Network? I love this question. So thanks for asking, because when you think about creating a culture, when you think about creating a culture that's not just from bottom up or top down, but really sideways and in all different directions. It's really cohesive, you know, mm. teams collaborating and working with each other. It becomes providing the opportunity for that recognition to happen. So here at Elevate, we do a few different things to create a culture of recognition and to create a culture of support. One we have, we use a tool called Small Improvements uh, that we have integrated. It's a performance tracking employee review type tool, which is it's great. And we have it integrated with our Slack channels or our communication channels, messaging channel. And anyone on the team can recognize, uh, give an award or a badge to someone for doing something great. I love that. So it may be that someone on the team overheard 
the person who runs our customer service and they might've had a tough call. And afterwards they'll, you know, give her a badge and slack, you know, for most respectful interpretation or leading with her values. It could be someone who did a great job, you know, leading a webinar or who just brought in cookies today and everyone's really excited. Whatever it is, it's these little <laughs> micro acknowledgements of what people do throughout the day that is recognized, that's seen, that has an impact on the company. So that's something that we do on a very micro level. It happens many times throughout the day where people are acknowledging and recognizing each other. It's a great way for managers to also be that type of sponsor to regularly, you know, lift up the people on your team and and highlight what they're doing. And then we also have what is called our Unis the Unicorn Award, in which we <laughs> um, we give out. If you if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see some of the the videos. But um, that's a weekly award. So everyone in the company votes on who gets the award that week, and we have a committee that rotates on a quarterly basis that manages this. But when you vote on who should get the award, you're not just clicking a box, you're writing down why, you know, what is it about this person that, that makes them special that you want to acknowledge. And so that's become really powerful in the sense that it's not just that person who gets the award that week, but um, we also share some of the, the nominations and to just read what your others are saying about you, the things that they notice, how they you know, acknowledge you as a person and your personal contributions, you as a member of the team has been really powerful in creating a culture and collaboration and just that's a place awesome. that's very supportive. Yeah. And it also speaks to the small D democratic nature of the Elevate Network culture that anybody can nominate someone for an award, that anybody can sh- give a shout out on Slack kind of makes everyone a manager in some ways of the acknowledgement piece, which I think is so, so key. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about the tough side of management, though, (laughs) because I feel like even Anna's question was so sunny and optimistic and, oh, management, it's so nice. How can I be even nicer at it? What do you do when you've got a team member who's just constantly not living up to those objectives? to those deliverables, who's falling short. And granted, they always have a good reason, or at least it sounds that way. But how do you handle the tougher side of management when it comes to accountability in the face of continuous shortcomings? So that's a great question. And something that we think a lot about here, because I mean, that does happen. Absolutely. And it happens for different reasons. I mean, there's times when someone you know, I mean, it's possible something's happening personally. It's possible that they're not clear on the objectives, even though you've expressed it, there's a communication gap there. It's possible that they don't have the skills and support or or possible they don't have the interest to do that job anymore. Yeah. And so there's a number of reasons. And for us, you know, we do do weekly one-on-one. So manager direct report, meet every week, talk about their goals, you know, get feedback. It's, it's employee driven or, you know, direct report driven. So what are their challenges? What are they facing? And then when we see continuously over time that improvements aren't being made or goals aren't being hit, we will put someone on a performance improvement plan. So what that means is that you work one-on-one with that person at a much more intimate level much more regular cadence to support them. It may be 
time management. It may be understanding how to prioritize tasks and maybe helping them get, you know, some more skills or support. But having that really regular close-knit feedback is helpful for the manager to also identify areas Mm. of opportunity or improvement. It makes it very formal. I mean, everyone knows, okay, we're not hitting goals. This is serious. How do we work together to improve this? Right. If improvements can't be made, then I think there's harder decisions to be made. But for us, it's really about, you know, how do you ensure that every step of the way that person has all the opportunity to succeed? And we found that to be, I mean, I think there's some naysayers who could say, okay, someone's not doing their job and, and that's it. But we know the impact of losing an employee, having to hire someone new, train someone new, all of that. And especially when you're invested in creating a strong and supportive culture, it's really about, you know, we got to be clear on the goals. We have to give you all the tools to succeed. There has to be good communication and also very clear communication. So being very upfront if someone's not hitting their goals or if there's room for an improvement during our performance reviews, which we do regularly throughout the year, there's always a question about what could this person be doing better. And that's an important because everyone could improve. So let's make sure that we're talking about that too. It's a positive. It's a way for someone to become a stronger employee and to have more awareness about, you know, what they're doing well and not. And just every step of the way, providing the support, the communication, the tools for success, but then also knowing that sometimes it's not the right fit. It's not the right match and other decisions have to be made. Well, I like how clear and compassionate that process sounds, though, right? I've heard the higher, slow, fire fast philosophy, for sure. But I do appreciate kind of the second chance that comes with the performance improvement plan, right? Like this is serious, the clarity around that makes sense, but then also investing in coaching when it seems most mission critical is a great way to reduce attrition and turnover and the expensive, costly process that are associated with all of that. One of the other elements that I think great managers do so well is really sponsor folks who are exceeding expectations into new positions of power and prestige and influence. How have you seen sponsorship play a role in really good management? Yeah, I mean, it's played a role for me, absolutely. Although at the time, many, many years ago, that I, I w- didn't, re- that's not what it was called. I didn't realize it. But now it's when I right. think about, you know, during layoffs and, and I kept my job or when there was an opportunity to for promotion and I was promoted or, you know, there's, there's a various times when you know, people certainly went to bat for me. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I think, you know, that is an important role of a manager because you you know who your team is, you know their strengths, you know their abilities. There's some roles that are more in the public facing. There's some that are more internal and less obvious. There's also people that are more self-promotional than others. But you as a manager really understand your team and their strengths and their abilities. And a sponsor is really someone who is you know, promoting you when you're not in the room who's raising your hand, who's offering you up for opportunities. And I think to be a good manager, it's really to understand your team and to be their biggest champion and to work hard at it for all, always looking for those opportunities to talk about their successes and to promote them for new opportunities. Yeah. I would say there too, which is really important, is this aspect of diversity. 
And so as a manager, you know, one, so critical, so important to always strive to hire a team and to cultivate a team that's diverse. Mm-hmm. I can't say it enough. A diversity just leads to, you know, more innovative thinking, to just bringing different ideas to the table, to better client focus. There's a whole host of, of different reasons why diversity matters. But at the end of the day, even if you have a very diverse team, you're likely going to be more inclined to connect with someone on your team that's like you. And if you even think about our personal social circles, in likelihood, you surround yourself personally with a lot of people that are like you, same socioeconomic background, race, religion, sometimes gender. And so when you think about the people on your team and back to kind of how we started this conversation with communication, it's really knowing that, you know, checking your bias, checking all that, knowing people communicate differently, people have different lives, and how you can really be the biggest champion for people on your team, regardless of their background, and to acknowledge that, yeah, this person, you know, went to the same school as you or grew up the same way, and you have that natural Mm. affinity for closeness, but putting yourself in check and just really basing your team on their accomplishments, on their skills and abilities, and being their champion. Yeah, and having clear protocols in place to measure that (laughs) during those performance reviews is a great way to make sure likability isn't the primary factor in promotions and hiring and all that jazz. I wonder, you know, at Elevate Network, I'm sure you hear a lot about unconscious bias as it impacts women in leadership. We all know the leadership likeability double bind is kind of like the tightrope we're all tap dancing on, especially as we rise in power and influence over our careers and in companies and institutions and organizations. What unique challenges do you think women managers face? And what advice do you have? for overcoming those challenges? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, back to the first time when I was a first time manager, there's a host of things. I was younger than many of the people on my team. And I looked even younger than that, to be honest. I was a woman and most of the people on my team were men. And, you know, I was getting mixed signals. I was having my boss telling me that I needed to grow a thicker skin and be tougher. But yet I had people on my team, because we did the 360 reviews, uh, people on my team saying that I was too mean and too tough. Right. So at the time, I mean, it was so confusing. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, like, am I not tough enough? Am I too tough? I mean, it it just became really confusing for me Um, and fed into a lot of those stereotypes that we hear today. I would say one, you know, be your authentic self. And and we hear that a lot, but it's true. I mean, be the leader you are and don't make apologies for it. And you'll find that people really come to respect and appreciate that. I have no problem being vulnerable, saying I don't know the answers or I'm not sure, but that's actually worked in my favor because I've really trusted my team and looked to them for advice and insights when I need it. And so they've felt really connected to me and connected to the process. And it hasn't been, you know, someone in the tower that's far removed. 
I would say to just lean on your peers. Um, my peer mm. network has been really important for me. Other leaders, men and women, but there's a good number of women who are also leading businesses that I'll tap into if I'm feeling self-doubt or when I'm faced with a tough decision or a tough situation. And that's that's been really helpful. But at every step of the way, you know, don't be afraid of feedback. When I've worked for other people, I've asked for feedback on management style. I've worked to clarify what that means. I've really thought about what is authentic to me and what is just who I am and, and what are the areas for me to be a little self-aware and to make improvements. But the biggest piece of advice is just don't let it get into your head because right. the world around us is full of, of bias. Um, and you know everyone's going to have some vision of what the ideal manager looks like, but what it needs to be is is what's authentic to you and what works for you. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of like, you've got to focus on your purpose over perception at some point, <laughs> but it's certainly something that I think your experience with getting that two-sided feedback is far from unique. So for any of our managers listening, just know that yes, feedback is important to learn and grow from, but at the end of the day, sometimes we have to let it roll off our backs and, and focus on getting a job well done. Well, Christy, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you for all of your guidance and feedback and great advice for Anna. Where can our listeners find the Elevate Network podcast and catch up with you? Oh, yes. So, uh, and to you uh, soon, you, although we have an old episode <laughs> right. up there. So, but check us out at elevatenetwork.com. It's E L L E, so two L's, elevatenetwork.com. And you can find our podcast, a host of our upcoming events around the world, as well as some great articles and data and information. And we'd love to meet you. If you want to learn more about Elevate Network and find links to learn more about the topics we covered today, head to today's corresponding blog post at bossedup.org slash episode 126. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hi, my name is Christina. I am from Ohio. So I work at a nonprofit that has a large focus on substance abuse. And I recently took over an alcohol education program that has been losing money for a while. But the program is so beneficial to the clients who take it that we want to keep it around. I figured out a way to save $3,000 per year. And I'm looking into other ways to restructure the program so that we can save even more money. I know $3,000 doesn't sound like much, but to a nonprofit, it's a fortune. All right, boss, I see you and I am feeling this boss move. Thank you for showing what it looks like to be the boss of your career and life. And thank you so much for calling it into the hotline. You never know who you're inspiring when you dare to share your own come up story. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to unpack next, give our hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And now I want to hear from you, boo. What did you think about what Christy had to share on today's episode? How are you striving to be the best boss you can be if you're in a position of management or leadership in your community, in your household, in your workplace, wherever? Head on over to the blog at bossedup.org slash episode 126 to leave your comments at the bottom of today's podcast episode blog post to share your experience in the comments section. And if you are a Bossed Up podcast listener listening to this podcast in Hartford, Connecticut, or in New York City, or in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Columbus, Ohio, or Chicago, Illinois, or Austin, Texas... 
I hope to see you on the Basta book tour in the coming week. And even if you're not in any of those cities, if you know a boss bestie who is, who you think should get there, make sure you give her the deets by sharing this episode or just directing her to bossedup.org slash book for all the details. Thanks again for your early support in this first week of publication. It has been a wild adventure, but I feel so incredibly supported by bosses like you who are helping to spread the word, who are helping to show what it looks like to be the boss of your life, to get bossed up in your career, because every boss move you make is a testament to the power of this community. And that's really what the book is all about. It's about inviting more women into this community with us. So thanks for Keep On Bossing in pursuit of your purpose and for lifting as you climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.